Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our scripture reading this, this day continues with the Beatitudes. They're found in the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel. I'm going to be reading verses 2 through 6 as we come to this passage. First, join me in a moment of prayer. Gracious God, it is your word and your word alone that is life for us. And because you are gracious, we trust you will speak to us. We are here, O oh God. We are listening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Then Jesus began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who know in every moment just how much they need God. Blessed are those who mourn, who recognize all that is wrong in them and in the world and grieve for God's ultimate healing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Righteousness, righteousness is not pursued very often in our culture today. It seems to me we have lost our hunger for righteousness. That means, that means it's more important for communities of faith like ours to pursue a diet of righteousness. It was years ago, Carol and I, we took kids, put them in the car, and we went to, among a, a number of places, we went to the Grand Canyon. We took our children to the Grand Canyon. We had never been before. It was, it was breathtaking. We asked around and found a trail less traveled, and we hiked largely by ourselves down toward the base of the canyon. There we ate a sandwich, and then we came back up for our lodging. It was a great day. And the only thing that would have made it better is had we taken enough water to drink. Uh, we didn't. By the time we got back to our car, I was parched. I was so thirsty that I was beginning to get a headache. You've probably had that experience. Uh, the thing about hunger and thirst is they are first-tier concerns. 
You don't push those off and address other needs or other interests. When we're really hungry, really thirsty, they, those needs rise to the top. Jesus says the truly blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. So what does it mean to thirst for righteousness? For righteousness to be your first desire. Let me offer a couple of reflections. The first is to hunger for righteousness begins by recognizing the lack of righteousness that is in the world. If you heard our message last week, blessed are those who mourn, there's, there's an echo of that beatitude here in this one. Those who hunger for righteousness, they, they trust that God's dreams for us in the world, they are reliable, but they're not fulfilled yet. And so they hunger, they yearn, they thirst for God's dreams, for what God wants for you and me and for the world to be a reality. Of course, the truth is, we don't always want what God wants. It's a pretty high bar. But I think we at least want to want what God wants. When we do, when we want what God wants, it makes us hunger for righteousness. It makes us hunger for things to be different. So I recently enjoyed John Meacham's book, His Truth is Marching On. It's a biography of John Lewis. When Lewis died last summer, we lost someone who I think embodied this beatitude. Meacham says there was a moment in the civil rights movement when the Freedom Riders, you remember that? The Freedom Riders, they were traveling through the South. They had moved into Alabama, and there were threats of violence that had escalated to the point that that most people were pretty sure that if the buses pulled out the next day, somebody would die. Uh, President Kennedy and Attorney General Robert Kennedy sent emissaries to meet with the Freedom Riders to beg them to, to call it off. It's just not safe. Someone's going to die if you continue. And the Freedom Riders agreed. But John Lewis didn't. John Lewis and a woman named Diane Nash and others, they were in Nashville, and they drove through the night to meet the Freedom Riders in Alabama, and they got on the buses the next day, and they continued the rides, even though they were pretty sure someone might die that day. And Meacham said this, he said, John and the others, they weren't thinking pragmatically. They weren't even thinking rationally. For their thoughts were shaped not by the fears of the world that they knew, but by the hopes of the one they were seeking. They were living toward God's promised day, as we would say it here, no matter the cost. 
with thoughts shaped less by fears of the world that they knew and more by hopes of the world they were seeking. That's what it looks like to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to want the wrongs of the world to be set right. It's a high bar. Quite frankly, it's not one I live up to very often. But in this season of Lent, in this season of Lent, we reflect on the status of our own discipleship. Now, the purpose of that is not to shame any of us. There's no point in that. No, the purpose of Lent is inspiration, to, to point to the lives of goodness that we can see in the world and in the, in the community of faith to see if that might inspire greater goodness even in us. Viktor Frankl, he was a psychotherapist, and he also survived several Nazi concentration camps. And Frankl, he once said, decent people are the minority in the human family, but they inspire us to the greatness of decency. I think Frankel has an important insight. You know, none of us is decent, none of us is faithful all the time. We all stumble, but when Jesus gives his life to teach us what it would look like to live a blessed life, what it would look like to live toward the kingdom of heaven. He's inviting us to be defined not by our failings and what's wrong with us, but be defined by His grace that it might inspire decency, that it might inspire a hunger for righteousness. You know, righteousness is an important word in faith, and it's one that we should reflect on. To be righteous is obviously enough to pursue what is right. That's hard. It's important work to pursue what is right. Righteousness is more than that. Righteousness is more than being right. This is something we've talked about several times in recent years. Righteousness is more than simply wanting things to be made right. It's a difficult discipline in and of itself to seek the right. But righteousness is a term that describes less our position on issues and more our relationships. Theologically, to be righteous is to be in right relationship with God and with neighbor, with those around us. You know, that's why I say I think our culture has lost a hunger for righteousness. What is preferred now is to claim to be right on the issue of the day and to discount those on the other side of the issue of the day, maybe even to dehumanize them. That's not righteousness. That's self-righteousness. In Wendell Berry's novel, Jaber Crow, Jaber lives in Port William, Kentucky. It's an old farming community that is living through the pains and indignities of becoming a new farming community. 
Jabra was an orphan who found himself at the orphanage of the Good Shepherd where he thought he might be called to ministry, and then he got wiser and became a barber and a church sexton and a grave digger in Port William. He never married, but he loved Maggie. Sadly for Jaber, Maggie was married to Troy. It was an ill-suited relationship. Troy was arrogant and selfish, and Jaber did not care for him at all. It was the 1960s, and the Vietnam War was raging, and there were protests in the streets about the war. Most folks in Port William considered the war protesters to be un-American, if, if not outright communists themselves. That's the way Troy thought about it. And one day, while he was waiting his turn in the barber chair, he said, well, if you ask me, we should just gather up all those war protesters and put them in front of the communists, and whoever kills who, it's all for the good. And Jaber stopped his trimming and said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Troy whipped his head around. Where did you get that? Jaber said, I got it from Jesus. Oh, Troy said. And then Jaber said to himself, that would have been a great expression of Christianity, except for I didn't love Troy. That's righteousness. It's not enough to be right. We have to be right and also love Troy. <laughs> to be right and to be attentive to relationship with those who think we're wrong, with those we might think are wrong. There's very little appetite for righteousness these days. It's so tempting to settle for being right and being divided, for being right and being isolated, for being right and even filled with condescension. But that's not righteousness. That's just self-righteousness. To hunger for righteousness, it's an acquired taste. But it might just restore community where it's fractured. Now, I get it. That might sound naive to you, but Jesus said it's blessed, that it pleases God. I think he's right, and like you, I'm trying to trust that he's right. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.